welcome to Ace Comicals episode number 125. So, um, here we are back again doing back on our usual bullshit. No interview for you today. <laughs> this is just me and Leon talking about stuff we've read. And a lot of it appears to be things from last year, actually, or stuff that's like... Um, began last year and is is running on still like ongoing so all of these are a few issues in right yeah yeah i mean um some of these at least one of these has finished its run yeah yeah so before we crack on with that um there's been like a few things i I just wanted to get through um a couple of things i wanted to mention and, and shout out that i've been doing so like i mean the whole point of of I guess the whole theme of this episode is the fact that I wanted to talk about stuff I didn't get around to talking about last year. And I've been going through a backlog and diving into some classics. Um, first on the thing is I started rereading Crisis on Infinite Earths. Interesting. Um, yeah, you can hear me tapping the hardback. I don't know if this is coming <laughs> over the microphone. Yeah, so <laughs> I was like, I'm going to reread Crisis on Infinite Earths because I wanted to hit it with a more seasoned eye and just see where it sits with me um because like the last time i read it i think i was a teenager yes yeah, same i don't think i've ever like chopped through it since then but um i still love it and i love it as the archetype and the blueprint for large events because we talk about events a lot on this cast we talk about comics events uh in the capes books we've discussed nightfall um and I've t- we've talked about kind of the architecture of the event within those conversations. Within, if you go back and check out our conversation of uh, on Nightfall, um, sort of like several part series we did covering the entirety of Nightfall, Batman Nightfall, into the fallout um, of the event. You can we kind of discuss it a little bit at the beginning. We get into a little bit of a conversation about the architecture of the event. And I'd love to do more, more of that. And um, this has just reminded me about why I want to do more of that, because I just wish that large scale events and large scale crossover stories weren't so frequent these days. And this reminds me of how much I wish that was the case, because there's a gravitas that crisis has and that other older events and crossovers have that seems to be missing from the event and crossover of comics now, if you understand what I'm trying to say, Leon. I definitely do. Like, for me, like, where, like, in this space, uh, uh, so far as that we read a bunch of comics to talk about on here uh, twice a month, and if you were to quiz me on what the last big events were for the big two, I would have no idea, because all that stuff just flows over my head. Hmm. And I don't think it's just because it's a classic. I think it's because it was well-received at the time that it has that that status. I think it's because at the time, even if you were... These things didn't happen. Events were few and far between. Um, And they got more and more frequent. And these big crossovers got more and more frequent as you know, comics uh, publishers realised it was a way to sell books. Um, And the point the the problem now because of the frequency of things things don't feel as consequential um i mean we know that death is anything but permanent in comics but it it, nowadays it really doesn't make you feel or hit you as hard as it once did like 
it's been lessened to the point where it's like a throwaway thing. It's like there was an advert um, on Twitter recently for Marvel pushing a uh, a big Spider-Man thing. Um, I don't know if you caught this advert, but it's like, what did Peter do? No. Did you, did you see that one? No. Um, no, I didn't. Uh, so it's like uh, horizontal panels and it's like a single page type thing. And uh, it's what did Peter do? And it's got Peter Parker sitting there looking shell-shocked on his knees in a huge crater um, with his suit all torn up. <laughs> um and it's like they're trying to like something happened and peter parker was at the center of it and the first thing i did was quote tweet it and put a little star and now what did peter do now because that's how i feel about this stuff now (laughs) like honestly like it's it's almost as if like they're trying to sell this big event and they're trying to sell they're trying to get peak interest in this thing. And yes, I'm interested. Yes. I'm curious to see what happens. I'm always going to be curious. I'm always going to love it because it's comics and I love comics, but I just can't, it just doesn't have that, that gut punch anymore that stuff like that used to have. Like, you know, there's no, uh, there's no gravitas. And, and I feel that we, we need to get that back somehow by maybe lessening the frequency of events. Like we need to expand the amount of time between events and we need to give people time to soak in the, um, long running continuity. We need a period of long running continuity and you need the build. You need yeah, the there chance needs to, to be stakes, them. like yeah, real stakes. Yeah, exactly. You, you need the chance to, instead of it just being the, 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 ne- the endless reincarnation cycle, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm looking at this thing now. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it is pretty funny. I'm sure I have, I've actually seen it slightly yeah. memed and didn't realize. Yeah. But you need the stakes. You need to get the chance to get attached and to fall in love with the narrative so that when they shatter it, you feel it and you feel the scale and the importance. And I think a lot of that is now missing. And all of that was, re- uh, was, was you know, is things I was reminded of when I was reading Crisis again, which one day I'm going to talk about in depth. We are going to cover Crisis. Um, I, I promise you that we will cover crisis, but I just need to, uh, I need to sort of like soak it in again myself and I need to sort of like get some, some more background on it and everything else and work out a lot of other things to do with it, some logistics, but yeah. And, uh, I feel that we need that back in comics and this is, this is what we, we need to get back to this, the events having the, the oomph that they once had, I think. Um, which brings me on to my next point, death of the justice league. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of that stuff floating around, Leon. No, I've definitely not. (laughs) So on April the 19th, this year, 2022, uh, DC Comics are releasing Justice League 75, which will be the death of the Justice League. Um, And there's some art going around and it's because it's... I, I get the feeling they're doing this because it's 35 years since Death of Superman. Oh... Is this the thing with all the coffins? Yeah, yeah. So the art floating uh, around uh, okay. is that everyone, you know, that de- that that timeless death of Superman piece where it's like the whole extended Justice League standing there mourning with Superman's coffin. Yeah. Well, it's that, but they've put an Aquaman coffin and a Batman coffin and a Wonder Woman coffin and a lantern and a lantern, coffin. a green lantern coffin as well. But Hal Jordan's standing there mourning. So who did they kill? <laughs> 
Well, we, we, I think I know who they killed, but, um, it's just like, I, I'm, I'm looking at this and, and instead of being excited for it, I'm just kind of like sighing and being like, they'll be back by Christmas. Yeah. And the thing it's, is, this, this year is big on killing the Justice League because that Suicide yeah. Squad game made by Rocksteady is out this year as well. Where yeah, and it's, it's the tagline is to kill the Justice League. Yeah, isn't isn't each mission a different member of the Justice League or something like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, so we'll see we'll see how that goes because uh, I when it when it drops I'll I'll read it and I'll let you know what's going on. But um, there's going to be a big war and some casualties. I think is is the way that this is looking. Uh, and uh, I want to see what they do and how they do it. And I, I, my gut feeling, my gut reaction is they're doing this because 35 years since death of Superman and they want to commemorate and celebrate that somehow. That's my gut telling me that, but I don't mm. know. We'll see. Do you think this stuff, like, I haven't looked at the sales data, but I assume the, the point of, uh, mm. like the cynical point in modern times for all these big crossover events is that it gets people buying more comics because they got to buy all the different issues but also it puts a big spotlight on these comics to get yeah. pe more people to buy them do you yeah. think a death of the justice league and the spider-man one cook the books enough to to get people who are not actively reading back in at this possibly point? possibly i can i can see that i remember years ago when the ultimate spider-man thing you know the death of spider-man mm. ultimate spider-man when that book released i was in sweden on holiday and i tracked down a comic store and bought it in sweden <laughs> just to see what was going on um and i remember how big a news story it was because it was in the metro and everything else um, because it's the death of Superman syndrome again, isn't it? Where they, you know, they cover this stuff. Yeah. But like, it was death of Spider-Man in one Spider-Man continuity. It was when they killed Peter and brought Miles in. Yeah. Um, in the Ultimate Spider-Man stuff, but like, with this, they're trying to sell it as if there's there's going to be no return. They're like, oh, you know, no return in sight for these members of the Justice League that are going to die. It's like. Come off it now. You can't <laughs> kill Kal-El and Bruce Wayne and, and decide not to bring them back because that's just how... That's... that's. They're not going to do that. They're just not. <laughs> also, there's a, a Batman movie out this year. Like, they're going to want to move, move issues. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, that is Justice League 75. So we'll, we'll look forward to that. Um... The other thing I did was I watched Eternals again since it hit Disney Plus, and I've been rereading the uh, Neil Gaiman run, um, which is just so, so good and really would have lent itself well to film. And it just reminds me of how much of a crying shame and a wasted opportunity that film was. Um, and like we've discussed on here and on Story X Story, our feelings on this film and, and how it was great, but it just it could have been so much more. And when I read this book and, and the, the Gaiman's work, Gaiman's work, and and I read like the, the Gaiman and Ramita run here, and I'm just, you know, it's just it could have been so much more and so that's much the, better. That's the thing. Like, what without going too much into the weeds, what particular elements of this uh, Gaiman written story 
work so well in the context of the Eternals? Well, so I've heard with, this a lot. Yeah, I mean, with a few adjustments, it could have been the perfect way to introduce the characters um, because they are introduced as as instead of knowing their Eternals and just living among people and trying to keep it a secret, they don't know their Eternals at the beginning of the story. Oh, and they kind they of have memory or something. Memory issues, yeah. And then they begin to remember and there's just this whole plot weaved in. It's all, it all interweaves and to do the Sprite character, the way they did Sprite in this book, I think, cause I don't want to spoil it. Cause I, I, I think you ought to read it. Yeah, and I don't I want do to spoil want to it, for, it. The, for, for the listeners. Cause I think the listeners ought to read it, but what they did with Sprite in this was excellent. And I think would have made, they had shades of that in the Eternals film shades of that characterization of of sprite being fed up with being a kid but in this in this uh sprite does something about it and um but in a in a like it's in a diabolical way and i kind of i kind of think that would have made a really good storyline for the film Mm. um and they could have done it that way and they could have introduced the whole concept of eternals deviants and celestials via adapting this run in a much cleaner way than they did in the film i think yeah because um, i think like ultimately our general take on the film was that it was better than everyone was saying because people were going on like yeah. it's the worst marvel movie ever made but it like you said it was a missed opportunity it could have done mm. much more with what it had and it is like interesting to hear like some of those elements in the 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 game and written story because it's it almost sounds like a, a, a template ready to go and for some reason they decided to make it more difficult on themselves with the movie and mm. then then miss which is a weird thing to do when you could have just uh yeah used it and give given that cuz cuz he and i believe the artist are in the end credits with their special thanks. So they might as well have just cribbed the story completely. Exactly. And and the, the, the other cool thing about this is it takes place during the Marvel Civil War continuity stuff. Okay. So um, it takes place during all that Superhero Registration Act stuff and whatever that else during the comics. That might be the last big crossover event that I read at the time. Yeah. So it's, 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 in, it's in all of that. It's like woven into that. That's happening in in the background of this story, um, and I, they have other Marvel characters turn up throughout. So that's how they weave it into the MCU narrative, into the wider narrative. And and it won't because the other thing about this Eternals film is it. Upon watching it again, it feels detached from everything else that's happening in the MCU in a, in a weird way. Yeah, it's hyper detached. Um, yeah, actually, yeah. it has more DC stuff in it than Marvel stuff. Yeah. So here's me thinking, like, they could have used this and they could have used the way that they weave other Marvel characters into it. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be set during the Civil War, but they could use other Marvel, the way they weave other Marvel characters into it as a way to sort of, like, knit this nicely into the MCU. And it could have... It could have been so much more and they could have just um the blueprint was right here mm. and it's only like um i think it's only seven issues long 
let me just double check that because I, I I have read it. I promise, but I can't remember <laughs> how because it just all bleeds into one when you're reading it from a trade. Um, yeah, seven, seven issues. But yeah, it's um, yeah, I, I'm I'm sad. Yeah, it's weird because it also feels like with the movie, and I won't go into any plot specifics, but yeah, it feels like the movie did decide to do hard mode and then like whiff on a bunch of stuff, but then ends in a place that seems that they've created so many issues for themselves going forward. I don't, I don't know. It's like it's like Kevin Feige hubris, where it's like, yeah, yeah, t turn storytelling to Dark Souls mode, and then we're gonna go ham. <laughs> For the next five years, and say, like, "Okay, good luck to you." He chose to shake his fist at the Celestials, <laughs> <laughs> and this is what he leaves himself with. This is where he leaves himself. Um, yeah. So, I mean, other than that, uh, there's a new Pokemon game that I played, that I've got, that's really, really good. Um, that I'm going to be playing as soon as I'm done recording this, because uh, I'm hooked on the new <laughs> gameplay because it's very different. Yeah, how is it? Because I've seen like uh, like bits and bobs of it, and uh, it it does look like it's beginning to f like fulfill that dream that we all had of a Pokemon mm -hmm. world, where you run out and throw Pokeballs at the actual Pokemon, and then you have fights out in the wild and stuff. Like you got a tiny bit of that with Sword and Shield, if I like uh, in the yeah. the wild zone yeah. was it that you'd go into? Yeah. But you couldn't, but like, you couldn't just chuck Pokeballs at them. Yeah, and what I've seen of this, it looks like a fulfillment yeah. of that dream, is it? It is and it isn't, and 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 I, I like it. I, I love it for what it is. So this is Pokemon Legends Arceus. Uh, I say Arceus. Um, so a lot of people have been saying Arceus. Um, I don't know which one's right. I've been saying Arceus since, since Arceus first came about as a legendary Pokemon. Um, at download only events back when Diamond and Pearl first hit the DS. So I, that's that's just how I know the word. If I'm wrong, tell me. I'm not scared. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's um, it's fun. It's the open world Pokemon game that we wanted. You just get to explore and run around and find Pokemon in the plains of what will eventually become the Sinnoh region. Uh, what is the Sinnoh region? It's just that we're, we're like right, we're, we're back in time at the beginnings of the Sinnoh region when it was first sort of getting populated and whatever. And it's um, it's got that kind of narrative about it where we're on the frontier and we are collecting data about Pokemon because humans and Pokemon don't live together yet uh, in this game like they do in, in, in later games. Humans and Pokemon aren't... aren't in harmony yet we are almost frightened of pokemon actually and frightened of their power at this point um so the whole point is you are helping a scientist doctor compile data on pokemon we are studying pokemon you are part of a team of people that studies pokemon and your job is to complete research tasks out in the wild by catching so many of a certain type of pokemon watching them use specific moves in battle that kind of thing um and uh it's 
it's really, really good and really fun. And the way that the the battling works and everything else is is really cool because there's some deeper mechanics to it now. Um, Pokemon aren't restricted to four moves. You can each Pokemon can have four moves readied for battle, but that Pokemon can have a bank of more than four moves, and you can interchange the moves and swap them out between battles. Oh, that's it. Um, and what you can also do is you can choose to deliver moves in different ways. So when a Pokemon doesn't just Pokemon doesn't just learn a move, a Pokemon masters a move if you use it enough times. So when you master that move, you can choose to deliver it in agile style, at which point you might be able to get it done twice before the enemy gets a chance. Mm. Or you can deliver it in strong style, which delivers more which which takes more HP when it hits, basically. Uh yeah, I've heard I've heard of this. this... Yeah. So it adds another element to battling. Um, battling is, it's like an action RPG. So battling is, it it happens and you can, you just, you are moving the whole time. So you are running around the battle, watching it from all angles. Um, and then, you know, it's, there's different things you can do. Uh, you like don't have to fight. Turn order, um, like Final Fantasy X style. Um, not really, no. It's It's like, so the battle happens, you tell your Pokemon what to do. You're like, I want you to do this attack. And that po your Pokemon will do that attack and then the other Pokemon attacks and it does it like that. But all the while, you can run around and observe from different angles. Yeah, so it's kind of like um, Final Fantasy twelve. Almost, yeah. Almost. Um, and then you can throw Pokeball and catch the Pokemon. Or you can fight it to the end. Um, you can end up um, in fights with like boss boss Pokemon. Uh, alphas they call them which are like pokemon that have gone a little bit a little bit they're bigger than the normal the normal versions of themselves and and they're they're a little bit meaner um and a bit more powerful and they're you know they usually have red eyes <laughs> um but yeah it's called uh, alphas yeah they've turned pokemon into pickup artists <laughs> red pill pokemon no um <laughs> but yeah you um you can also um like uh get injured yourself by pokemon so the pokemon attack you and then you will get one of your pokemon to help you to defend yourself because if you get hit too many times by a pokemon if you catch the business end of a pokemon's attack too many times you have to go back to base camp and get patched up yeah on a stream i saw someone get KO'd. <laughs> yeah I mean, it hasn't happened to me yet, but it don't look like fun. Um, <laughs> and it's just, um, yeah, it's just, it's like, a, it's a little bit more real, um, a little bit more grown up as far as Pokemon games go, I think. Um, and yeah, yeah, I just, this, the new system and everything is just a lot more fun. Yeah, because I've heard little bits of like story and like lore wise and yeah. contending with the sort of frontier aspect, which can be a bit dicey in uh as an idea because of like the, the region and and what it sort of represents in like real japanese history but from what i've heard is that it's handled quite sensitively um which sounds cool because yeah it's not really yeah. a thing i think of with the pokemon games uh in terms of like some sort of a little bit more depth of story because i played like sword and i had a really good time with that but it did feel kind of like a shiny version of the older games that that i'd played decades before yeah but it, um i do like the idea of there there being a bit more maturity a bit more texture to to, mm. to the story 
I would love more Pokemon games in this vein. I really would. I mean, like, issues aside, because everyone's got problems. People are saying that there's issues with the graphics and things like that, and it's not as doesn't look as good as it should for, you know, for, for what we're used to now and what what should be getting produced now and everything else. And, you know, it's a little bit... Um, the the quality isn't there in places, but I mean, for me running it, because I've been running it in handheld, I've run it on the TV as well. It does look better in handheld. When you run it on the TV, you can see that it's actually a little bit, um, it could use some work in places, but that's not a problem because the game itself is just... Fun. Yeah, like from, from what I've seen of there, it looks like the, uh, the core gameplay loop is a significant step up and... All I've heard is good things about it, um, but yeah, yeah, from from how I how I've seen it, it it, it does look like it, mm. it it lacks a bit of uh, a bit of polish. It does, yeah. But I mean, for me, it's not an issue right now. I'm enjoying it too much, so um, I can look past that. Um, uh, there's a there's a really good crafting system in it as well because you can make your own Pokeballs. Because in this, Pokeballs are homemade. Um, so if you've ever played Pokemon Gold and Silver, you know that you can take things called Apricorns to a guy called Kurt and he will turn them into Pokeballs for you. And depending on what colour Apricorn you give him, um, it will produce a different kind of ball. Well, in this, you craft your own balls from Apricorns. I've only crafted two kinds right now. And um, so far, it depends less on the Apricorn and more on the type of... Because you give him a... You have to use an apricorn and another ingredient, a type of stone. So, so far, it depends less on the the the, uh, the, the type of apricorn and more on the type of stone because there's only one kind of apricorn in the game so far that I've found. Um, but I've managed to craft heavy balls and um, standard-ass pokeballs. Um, but, yeah, you, you craft your own pokeballs, and it's a nice touch to have balls made from apricorns, like the old-fashioned homemade ones you get in gold and silver. Um, which is kind of cool. So yeah, I, I'm really enjoying it, and uh, I like I like all the little touches, and I like the fact that it's a bit more of a grown up Pokemon game. I'm I'm really into it. Um, and uh, I'll probably talk more about that when I finish it. And is it just the one at like the one title? There's not like a no, no. There's like only one. Do? There's only one. I've only had to spend forty four ninety nine this time. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, there's only one. There's only one. Um, which it makes sense, to be honest, um, for the way the game is, and I like it. So yeah, we'll see. But it's it's cool. Um, it's very cool. Um, the last little bit of newsy catch-upy stuff I think is the fact that Saga's back. Um, Saga Fifty Five is now on shelves after eighty-five long years, or however long it was. <laughs> Saga's now back. <laughs> um, so if you are picking up Saga, this is your reminder to go and get Saga 55 um, and get reading again. Um, you've all had long enough to catch up. Volume 9's been out for a long time now. So, Hey, hey, uh, some of us just <laughs> didn't didn't get around to it because we didn't know when any more was yeah. coming. But um, yeah. yeah, I can't remember how far back I am, but I've got a lot of catching up to do at least mm. two whole trades worth yeah yeah um and uh we're gonna save the rest of that conversation for when rahul comes back 
because this is this is his thing. Saga is yeah, Rahul's yeah. territory. We're gonna we're gonna let him uh, give you give you all the uh, the real nitty gritty about that. But I just wanted to I just wanted to let you all know that it's back and it's time to celebrate. So that that bottle of champagne you've been holding on to for the last twenty million years. <laughs> Because I mean, what's I mean, like it has been a long time. I mean, what is it? Five years? Two thousand eighteen was it? Oh, was it twenty eighteen? Yeah. Is that when the last issue of Saga was? You could have lied and said it was like before the Trump administration, and I would have believed you because <laughs> like, I've got no clue. Well, it's I mean, it feels like longer than five years. Like it feels like eighty-five years. Because and I was had, behind as well, so... Yeah, we've had all sorts of shit happen between then and now. The world's a different place. <laughs> the world's a, a, a massively different place. But we'll okay, see... Yeah, but, yeah, you were correct. It was July 2018. Yeah, yeah. the world's different now, Leon. <laughs> it's like Saga comes back in a flash of light into the post-apocalypse, and it's like, what year is this? And it's like... <laughs> Saga's the comic, the hero we all need. No, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll let Rahul talk more about that. I just wanted to let you all know it was back, uh, and it's been an awful long time, and we're glad it's back. So yeah, thank you, Brian K. Vaughan and Fiona Staples. <laughs> thank you. Um, you got anything you want to bring up up top? Uh, not in too much detail. There's stuff that I'll probably speak about next episode, like like slightly extracurricular stuff. Cool. But, uh, yeah, I'll save it for that. Yeah, so uh, into today's review comics. So where do you want to start? Because we've got three to go here. So uh, do you want to open with Moon Knight? Yeah, let's go for it. In as Moon Knight's pretty topical right now because uh, Disney are making a series. It's out in March. Just soon. Uh, so Moon Knight is joining the MCU. Now, uh, for those of you unfamiliar, um, Moon Knight is um, a... Marvel character that got his start in um, Werewolf by Night. Werewolf by Night number 32 in August 1975, created by Doug Moench and Don Perlin. Um, he is a mercenary. Uh, he's a Marine CIA operative, uh, became a mercenary, um, son of a rabbi, so has conflicted feelings about violence and morality. Uh, he um decided to um basically he was he was working with alongside somebody else and uh he got mortally wounded while trying to save um an archaeologist's daughter dr alrun's daughter um marlene alrun he tried to save her um because uh, his um, fellow mercenary raul bushman was basically tried to kill the archaeologist and he was appalled at this because it's like ruthless violence and unneeded basically this is during this is a job in sudan that he took um he was mortally wounded and then he um he found a tomb to shelter in and little known to him this tomb contained a statue of the egyptian moon god Khonshu. um he dies he comes back fully healed says that Khonshu wants him to be the moon's knight because Conshu is god of the moon and he decides to redeem his life of violence by becoming a protector of the innocent and becomes the moon knight 
um, and it gets more complicated from there. Uh, so at this point in time, we join Moon Knight um, as uh, Mysterious Mr. Knight, which is one of his many personalities. So the other thing about Moon Knight is he has DID. Um, and uh, as part of that, he has several alters or personalities um, that he can use to uh, that, that, that he, he basically ends up in that he ends up inhabiting or, or as part of his condition. Um, but he uses that to his advantage, which is kind of cool. Um, and so the point we're at now, so the mysterious Mr. Knight has opened his midnight mission, um, his people petitioning for protection from the weird and horrible. The moon Knight stalks the rooftops and alleys marked with his crescent moon tag, bringing violence to any who would harm his people. Mark Spector in whichever guise he dons is back on the streets, a renegade priest of an unworthy God. But while Konshu languishes in a prison that Moon Knight put him in, Moon Knight must still observe his duty, protecting those who travel at night. Let it be known, Moon Knight will keep the faith. So yeah, he's um, he's back and he has opened a mission or uh, kind of like a, a he's 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 self start the self styled priest of Konshu that he is. He's opened a mission in uh, in the streets of New York to protect the people at night. Um, there was this whole thing with Konshu being an actual thing, an actual being uh, in another dimension. And um, there's this whole line of continuity where he he attacks and fights and defeats the Avengers. Um, and it's all Konshu's will, but then he stops Konshu and puts Konshu in a prison somewhere. And it's... Yeah, it's complicated. Mm -hmm. um, and one day I will get around to explaining it all to you. But right now you don't need to know that. You just need to know that uh, he's he's Moon Knight and he's back again in the in in on the streets of New York doing what he does best, defending people at night. So, I mean, I like Moon Knight for the same reasons I love Daredevil. He's there's a street level grit to the stories. And despite the supernatural flavor of his origins, um he's you know they still managed to keep it earthy and and real with him um he doesn't have any real special powers to speak of i think at one point during the continuity he does but they sort of did away with that so that's gone now that's that's done um i like the representation with him being a did um him having did and and how this is played up at times as a strength um, which I think is a really powerful narrative. Um, and, and he like, so he uses these, these three identities. He has, he has, um, businessman, Stephen Grant, taxi cab driver, Jake Lockley and suited consultant, Mr. Knight, uh, billionaire businessman, Stephen Grant, that is. So he, he has these different, um, personalities that come over him at certain times, like his, because of his DID and he uses them to his advantage to gain information from different social circles. Um, which I think is a really nice way to spin it. Um, and it's, it's, it's good that it, it, he, he kind of like manages to use that as a tool and it's good representation. And it's the same as Daredevil with Daredevil being blind, but being blind is a strength to him because it just enhances all his other senses. And I quite like that Marvel continue to do this stuff. I really enjoy it. Um, and he just has that something that makes him interesting. And I like seeing him... I like seeing a comic book character seek help and go to therapy. <laughs> I love mm. that. I love that Moon Knight goes to therapy. 
it's so cool and we need that in because it shows people that it's okay to seek help it's okay to not be okay and all that stuff um i really like that but yeah he's um he hit the whole redemption through line with him as well like him redeeming himself and and you know the way that he protects people and and the way that he behaves uh and, and the way that he is so righteous and everything i'm like this is just just many reasons i love moon knight um so yeah like i said it's um he's yeah he has these like he's multifaceted and everything else he's quite a complicated character actually um and into this latest run, um, it is really gorgeously rendered with movement and expression in the lines. There's some great work with light and shadow, especially with the way Mr. Knight and Moon Knight himself, there's some beautiful sweeping full page work. I love the way they make him glow. Yeah. Like he's wearing white and they make him glow. And I think that's beautiful because it's like he himself is the moon. Um, yeah, it's wild because it's not even a case of like, oh, there's just no colour on this part of the panel. But he definitely feels like he glows, like it really pops out, even yeah. like more so than the the word bubbles, which I know is not true, but that's how it feels as you read it. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it's, I love the way that in this book as well, like, because a lot of it takes place at night, there's some really cool work with light and shadow. Um, and it's coloured in a way that perfectly captures nighttime in a city. And it's the way that various kinds and, and sources of artificial light play against the moon and, and the various surfaces of the city. And it's this waxy blur that you get when you've got tired eyes at night. And that's just what every page looks like. Um, and it's just a great run. Uh, so this is like the Moon Knight 2021 run we're talking about. And it's currently seven issues deep and I need more. Like maybe one day we'll get around to discussing some of the classic Moon Knight here too and, and getting a deeper conversation about Moon Knight because he is such an interesting character. But um, I, I'm i glad that he's enjoying some of the spotlight and, you know, that I'm glad that it's, you know, it's not always about the big heavy cosmic stuff, you know. It's, it's not always about the fantastic. We can have these street-level dudes too and they rock just as hard. Like, do you know, like, because I'm a big Daredevil fan as well, and it's it's for the same reasons. I like the street level grit. Mm. Um, it's one of the reasons I'm such a big Batman fan, fan actually, because a lot of you know he he operates at the street level. He's not he does get involved in the big cosmic stuff, but that's not him. He's a detective. He operates at street level, you know. Um, and this is probably a good hopping on point for anyone that wanted to learn anything about Moon Knight, because a lot of it's explained um during this run uh as far as i've gotten like you learn a bit about the character and it's probably a good hopping on point for the tv show if you're looking to read something prior to the show um and yeah it's it's just a really cool really cool run for where i am so far so i mean where are you at so far leon yeah so i've read uh two issues actually uh of this and um yeah, yeah like i echo a lot of the stuff that you said like for me I am the opposite to you in the sense that I'm a complete Moon Knight noob. Moon Knight is someone I was for had a, like a cool design and had seen like a lot of people referring to to Moon Knight, but I'd never read anything that Moon Knight was in. And I knew that for years as well, there's people been buzzing about Moon Knight and wanting a Moon Knight movie, a Moon Knight show, like really hardcore. 
I think, oh, this person's like got a super cult fan base, uh, but I haven't read any of it. Uh, it was, so, so it's only been like semi recently where I've actually like had a bit more information on Moon Knight, and this is the first Moon Knight comic I've ever read. And yeah, for someone who's like a, a beginner like me, it for where I got to in these two issues, it is pretty good. At, um, like explaining the the facets that make up Moon Knight and like I was pleasantly surprised I mean I can't fully speak to it because I'm not someone who uh has DID but like compared to other major depictions that I've seen of of DID in, in recent times it definitely seems like a way more positive application and it doesn't seem to be held or or like applied in a very basic manner the way that the uh the old sort of interact is like works well on a character level uh, as well as a as a story level but feels like, like you're saying Greg like very much a source of of strength so yeah. like from my like limited vantage point it's definitely a step up in compared to to uh what I've seen from that but yeah uh, like in terms of the general like run of what Moon Knight does, yeah, I definitely do understand all the Daredevil comparisons. Cause mm. uh, yeah, very much yeah is a, is is a street level guy where who's juiced up a little bit, but like taking out street level stuff and like you, that stuff I've always gravitated to more than the big stuff. Like uh, as well as with us being like Batman and Spider Man fans as well, like mm. I, I don't know. I think they're maybe the maybe the basic concept of that and like which type of heroes you gravitate to corresponds with how much that you used to like play pretend <laughs> doing it. Yeah, and <laughs> and uh, I, I was less a pretend to be someone who can fly and stuff. Then I was to pretend I could like fight like ten people at the same time and yeah, uh, yeah. roll around on the floor and stuff. So yeah, I, I do, I do, I do share that and I do understand it. And uh, yeah, like I'll second what you're saying with the art, like especially that neon. It's, it's not really neon anymore, but the neon sort of nighttime haze mm. uh, throughout the city. Like it really does capture that like nighttime urban feel, especially when you've got like sprinklings of like rain and you've just got amongst all this like color and it's like yeah. warm color. You just have this white and black figure just glowing throughout the page and mm. it's so foreboding. Uh, and then that is cut over with uh, Midnight's conversations with the therapist. And I think... Mm just the the sort of back and forth of that is really cool like um going in with the like dealing with all the different contradictions and the complicated like backstory and history of this character and it's it's like communicated very succinctly without say stopping the the comic to be like editor's note it, this is blah blah blah. Like I do like how organic it feels, and for me as a complete noob, it it was evocative enough to get me to to keep going with it. But um, yeah, I'm still quite early on, so 
yeah, there's not too much more that I can say other than yeah, for like a big like a cape book, I think it is a very good j jumping on point for this character. And uh, a panel that did make me laugh is uh, just the uh, the we're, we're not killers. We didn't ask for this. I was a <laughs> vegan before, for God's sake, in issue one. Like it, it is quite great because like it it does kind of uh, make you not really make you think. It does kind of remind you of the times when like, just like a Batman or whichever hero is just beating the crap out of like thugs and stuff who are like tangentially connected to, to what the bad, the bad, actual baddies have been up to. And that is yeah. a very like real human moment and all of this. And I, I did appreciate yeah. it. I, um, I think, uh, we're going to have to get into some bronze age moon Knight at some point. See some, uh, some, some late seventies, early eighties, New York. With Moon yeah, Knight yeah, when it was bad, bad, yeah, 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 yeah. Me yeah. Up, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bring me that Scorsese to... era capes. Yeah, we need to check some of that out. But yeah, um, so that is Moon Knight twenty twenty one run, and that is uh, art uh, script by Jeb McKay. Your art, um, there's two artists here, so you've got you've got art by Alessandro Capuccio, um, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and. Um, letters by um vcs cory petty um covers are mainly by steve mcniven um the other artist that works on this because there is another artist on it it did work on issue seven at least so far because uh, we're only seven issues in so this is uh frederico sabatini has also done art for this series as well so throughout the seven issues you've got two different artists and both of them are absolutely stellar and the work is spot on so yeah we are loving that one so that is uh moon knight 2021 uh published by marvel obviously so you can check that out uh where do you want to go next do you want to get into uh your book yeah so we have made in korea which is an image comic that uh debuted last may i think i think it, yeah i think it was about may and uh the story is by jeremy holt the art is done by george Shaw. And lettering is done by Adam Wallet. And uh, this is the story. It's a, it's a six-issue story. I haven't completed it yet. I've read four issues. But this is a story about... It starts off about a, like engineer programmer who works for a big company in Korea who semi-disgruntled but also on the verge of a sort of big discovery executes something that maybe he should not have done. Uh, the company he works for create they create what's the best word for them? They they create kind of robots and that these are robots which are usually adopted by people in lieu of kids because some unexplained event Children of Menish uh, means that there's no longer kids aren't no longer being born naturally, or it's really hard for kids to be born. So what people have done instead is they adopt these robots to take the place and to 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 sort of fill that gap. And this this programmer, uh, because they the discovery they make at their workplace. 
as is typical when you work for an IT company, what you create there is theirs. So to get it out, they smuggle it into one of the models that is then purchased by a couple who want who are unable to have kids and, and want want to get uh, the, their own their own robot themselves. And so what you have is this interesting narrative where the couple are in Texas. So you're dealing with this sort of AI future, but also overlaid with transracial adoption and like international adoption. And the way what transpires is a, a mix of like different fears and anxieties that come with, with that and sort of the clash of culture someone coming from say like Korea and then being dropped in in Texas and having to go to school and and the various issues that you get with that whether it be like bullying or being ostracized but then that is overlaid with a very American outlook and events that are quite unique to America happening so it it it, it Throughout the course of the book, it takes very interesting turns, very surprising turns, but all while all while like exploring the way how this whole process affects all these different people, and at the same time, the original uh, let's say engineer has uh, is in pursuit of the the code that he smuggled. Uh, in, into the uh, into the robot child and the robot child uh, like I won't go into super super details but they they start to display a level of intelligence which is uh, super high but also a level of like proficiency and strength which is super high for for a a, a child robot of their type uh, but yeah this is this is one where it, it's kind of Beyond that sort of messy explanation I've given it, it's kind of hard to explain. I would just recommend people just dig in because what you get is really uh, like astute commentary, but beyond that, that, a really engrossing story where it's a super page turner and when I'd finish an issue, I'd ha just have to read the next one straight away, where I was happy I didn't read this uh, <laughs> monthly. But uh, yeah, it's very engrossing and it has such a like great look to it, whether it's the pages and panels set in Korea or the pages set in Texas. There's a very um, like sort of, what's the word, mild dystopia, where like it's not like Mad Max or anything, like people still have houses and wealth and technology and stuff like that, but there's like a coldness to the world uh, in this suburbia where we're in and there is sort of like this sort of brewing anger and discontent but it's all like it's all like whispered or said in back rooms but in person everyone's sort of got a smile on their face and yeah there, there's like yeah there's this brewing tension like throughout and even 
just on the main couple who who adopt the the robot they they um like the 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 husband father character is kind of ambivalent but like going with the flow and the uh the mother what uh like wife uh character is way more into it and def and like super wants a daughter and just the way how they they brush up against the weirdness of parenting anyway with with also the weirdness of raising a like genius robot kid who looks like they're maybe like 10 or 11 but is enrolled in high school for like socialization purposes like there's a lot of like just interesting things going here and um like the color palette is really cool uh, uh there's a really good use of like greens and turquoises uh in the in the korean scenes uh like we get we get like looks of um like new age type cubicles i guess where they're not square but they're more sort of like waves sort of like loops uh so it's, it's still a hellscape but it's softened a bit like in in, in like in its visuals Whereas like the the management offices are just big, fast sort of Mr. Burns type offices, and then that's contrasted with the sort of Texas look where it's all like it's pastely suburbia, uh, where it just looks like its own sort of empty hellscape where you can see how you'd get lots of uh, disaffected people. But yeah, like. This is one that I'd, I'd recommend giving a read, and I'm looking forward to finishing it. It, it, it. Like I said, it is a six issue run, but I, I I've enjoyed it so far, and um, I'm in, really interested in how it how it wraps up because it it goes to some some wild places. Like it, it goes in a very different direction from where I thought it was going to go when I read issue one, <laughs> and I'm kind of glad that it went there and has taken taken that jump because it 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 is kind of dark, but there's never really a foreboding sort of dread in terms of like how it's visually done. Um, but like how the story progresses and how the characters react, there is a, a general, hmm, there's a general, like I said, un under the, under the surface malaise going on, which, uh, mm -hmm. which is quite cool. Cause it, it, it does very much feel like maybe, 10 years into our future i mean some of the tech is obviously uh further but in, in terms of how everyone reacts to tech and stuff it does feel like it's the not too distant future and I, and I really like stories that are set there which deal with things that we deal with like now but in a, in a bit more of a science fantasy way but uh yeah yeah i would uh definitely recommend was the word you're looking for cyborg no, because cyborg is like human meets robot. Yeah. Okay. What's the other one then? That's like um, Android. Android. Yes, that's the one we're looking for because robot is like, for me, robot is a not humanoid. Yeah, or 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 designed to perform a specific task and only that task. Yeah, that's doesn't, true. Doesn't have any. any I mean, uh, I was yeah. using robot quite colloquially because there is an actual good word they yeah. use. Here, yeah, but it's yeah. mostly said in issue one, so I can't remember yeah. it. <laughs> but yeah, Android, Android fits for the what you've just described to me. I like Android, um, and from what I've seen of the book, um, it looks really, really interesting, and I do need to dive in and check that out.
Oh, uh, this um, is what they they yeah. they call they call them proxies. That's why I, I oh, couldn't find it. Hey. They call they call the little robots proxies. And there's, oh. a, there's an interesting uh, like extra world building wrinkle in there because this story is focused on like kid proxies, which uh, which is the company that the the engineer works for. Right. But like one of his mates, I think it's his cousin actually. He uses proxies, in, different types of proxies, in a different way. Because you think about this sort of future where, like, it seems that kids are no longer being born. Uh, his cousin works using proxies, like adult proxies, like real oh, doll okay. sex robots. Okay. So, like, yeah, you get a bit more into a window of, like, how yeah. people are using these sort of synthetic people to uh, to fill some sort of uh, mm. emptiness. I see, I see. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. I'm going to have to dive in and start reading that because it sounds super interesting. Um, and I am 100% on board with everything you've just said. So <laughs> we'll, uh, I, I'm, I'm, if, I, if I get the chance to check it out before the next episode, I'll be able to kind of like give my thoughts as well. Okay, so last book on the list. Um, now, this is something that... So anyone that's that's listen to an episode of Ace Comicals will know that we enjoy horror comics and we enjoy like schlocky horror movies and we enjoy um, everything every which way in between that on the spectrum of horror movies and, and horror comics and, and how all of that works and everything else and these these classic horror movies as well um, and like this is this is in an interesting place for me because this this book um sort of like brings to the fore the um it's got it's got the reverence for the old horror movies and the reverence for the old horror comics it it brings to the fore a um a, a concept or a um like a, a some a point of interest for me that i i then got lost in uh lost films so the idea of a lost film a feature film that that is no longer in existence in in any kind of like collection or archive or anything um and it is it is a film that just seemingly no longer exists because no one has a version of it but people know that that film once existed or was made you mm. know um and <clears throat> it it just it's it can, comes at a point in time as well where I'm also watching a Netflix series that deals with sim a similar like found footagey, lost footage type of thing um, where they're restoring some old footage and weird things happen. Archive 81, um, which you may have heard of. So all of this kind of feeds into the into this this soup that kind of like got me into basically pointed me in the direction of Night of the Ghoul, which is a Comicsology original comic. Uh, so this is written by Scott Snyder. Your art is by the uh, ever-brilliant Francesco Francovilla. Um, that's colours as well, and it's lettered by And World Design. So this is Night of the Ghoul. Now, uh, you might notice that the title is very similar to a Ed Wood film called Night of the Ghouls, plural, um, which... Um, is a film that was shot in 1958 um, and for years this was actually thought to be one of the aforementioned lost films 
So the idea of the lost film, this this was thought to be a lost film, um, and it only made it directly to video as Night of the Ghouls in 1984. So um, yeah, if you're interested, track it down. <laughs> um, I think I'm I think I'm gonna have to we're gonna have to have a watch party, Leon. Yeah, I'm down. Um, so yeah, so I mean, um, this this comic, Night of the Ghoul. Um, this is like has a horror thriller narrative that plays with the idea of lost footage in films, and it's it's something that's become of interest to me now. So, um, I've got another thing that I'm gonna lose sleep reading about. Um, so this is the um, the way this is described on the Comicsology website is that this is the writer and the artist behind Batman: The Black Mirror, and they reunite to shed light on a celluloid artifact once thought forever missing, perhaps with good reason. So, um. This is like uh, exposure of the truth. The ghoul walks and a cult follows. Um, it's a really cool horror experience. And it's just, I've talked about how much I love Frank Avila's work before, but like, you just can't escape when he's on art duties. You just cannot escape. It's it's like you are in the, the, the oppressive atmosphere and the anxiety wrought staging with all the shadows that he uses and the way that he the way that he brings this this with his style at once evoking classic horror comics and grindhouse movie posters all at the same time um and the way he plays with light and shadow as well like everything is staged in this this color palette and it it feels like we're watching it lit by a campfire like we're in some sort of infernal um dimension or whatever while we're you know and and we are trapped observing what's happening and it's just so beautiful and unnerving it's great um and then this is intersected with sections of old film, which are black and white, and you can feel the flicker of the celluloid film, and you just feel the looming presence of something old and something supernatural, something evil, and it's so dense with atmosphere. It feels like a real Grindhouse classic coming to life as you go from panel to panel. Um, and it's just like the whole thrill of finding something like that, like the mystery of the lost film and everything else and the secrecy surrounding it and... The way that this is is done in this film is just is just in this comic even sorry it's just absolutely brilliant. Like, um, so we've got this director who um, he it starts off we we we're going into a uh, like a rest home uh, or a hospice and uh, we've got this director of this film that this guy um, has managed to track down. Um, he's like a a movie enthusiast. I think he likes his cult horror movies and things. Um, and he's bringing his son with him and they've managed to track this guy down and they've managed to find and restore part of the film. Um, and I think they wanted to try and find the rest of it or piece the rest of it together. I think that's the idea. Uh, and they track this guy down and they having a conversation with him and through this conversation and through several issues of the book, it transpires that what we are seeing on the film is actual truth. And the reason um such tragedy has struck and uh you know there was a fire at the studio the film was damaged and everything else and the reason all of these things happened is because there's a secret cult the order of the fly working behind the scenes to keep the existence of the ghoul a secret um so that it can continue to uh you know like uh spread its pestilence and wreak havoc on earth uh, and I just think it's a really cool narrative and I like that they spun the idea of the lost film into it and I like the the reverence he has for old horror movies and I like the nod to Night of the Ghouls, the Ed Wood film. I like all of it. So 
Um, yeah, I just I just really love this this grindhouse classic of a book. Um, and uh, yeah, we have four issues of that right now. Um, and it is well worth your time. Um, so Leon, you read this as well, right? Yeah, I did. Also, I read the first two issues for this one, and uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, spooky. It's super spooky. Like the drive-in to the care home that you described it, it itself is spooky. Where we have these two characters, which we find out later are the like protagonist and his son, and um, as they're going there, you just have things like wolves on the streets and everything is blanketed in darkness and it's all foreboding to the level where we get like a one page panel uh, where um, it shows the care home and you have like the sort of wolf eyes in the sky kind of in the texture mm. and then the like looking at the at the care home, it kind of looks like the way it has, has the skylights and it kind of looks like a skull. And it's like everything is building up and getting creepier and creepier as you, as you go in here. And like, it, there's such like a, like even just some of the, the panels have this very sort of like classic filmic look with these sort of like poses and uh, just like body expression and facial expressions of the characters it it does have this foreboding deep shadow high contrast look uh especially because the uh, uh like insman is uh wearing like glasses so you've always got like the white glare of the glasses during like dramatic parts but like the build-up to it is great and when when you get that reveal of like in the first issue of like the, it being the film being like legit and everything, uh, the way how that is portrayed with this sort of we get like glimpses of the of of the surviving parts of the film, which like this World War One uh, like uh, advance on like an Italian like castle or mansion or whatever. And like the the horror that lurks, and the the whole ine like inevitable doom feel of like you shouldn't have come here, like in, in in both senses, whether it be in the actual film or with Insman himself, like you shouldn't have come here, like you've you come into the belly of the beast, you, you you know too much, you've got too close, like all of that is has a very like real. Like the the film itself has this very real move like feel in there where like it feels like a movie that could have been destroyed in the the uh, MGM fire in sixty five or something yeah uh, and like so you even have like is it sort of the sort of postcard which has uh like the poster Night of the Ghoul on there but like as it builds into like the current story all of it just this horrible like super like it's not i know it's nighttime but it's so it's not bright enough in this care home like in yeah, the hallways man. and stuff it's too much shadow like in the normal world where there's no such thing as spooky stuff uh that would still be scary so like in this in this world it's uh yeah it's like super creepy and, like you just have ajar doors yeah. which open and close uh, just out of sight 
the people. It like the build up is is really well done. Like you can feel the tangible sense of evil in in the air. Mm. And like when you know when you're walking around your home in the middle of the night and like you see stuff at the corner of your eye, but you just rationalize it. Like, yeah. Oh, that was that was my cat or something, or that's just my eyes just playing tricks on me in the dark, like trying to see something like. This plays on all of that, and it's like, but was that a person? Was was something there? Did I see his eyes looking back at me? Uh, and yeah, and I think from there it just it like builds and builds, mm-hmm. and there is this like just super inevitable sense of it. Like even <laughs> from the end of the first issue, where the uh, director is just like, "I'm going to tell you the story," uh, but like, and then the ghoul will come and kill us all, and it's just like, "Yeah, let let me pass this on," but. Uh, like you ain't getting out of here. I do like <laughs> I do like that feeling. And, yeah. and again, this is one that I am um, looking forward to to catching up on and uh, seeing where yeah. the story goes because it is very evocative and very um, everything everything's like intriguing about it because it's creepy, but it, it it it's atmospheric. It's like we said, this this big heavy heavy air sense of foreboding, which I quite like. And there's just some like some great stuff later on involving maggots. <laughs> um, and I just, I love Francesco Francovilla's work. I really do. Like I, I can't, I, I cannot tell you how many like variant covers I've bought for various things that he's done covers for <laughs> just, just to have the Francovilla cover. Like I just, I just love his work so much and, and getting to see him do these interiors. again. It's just, Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Um, but yeah, um, I, I really, really, really want more of this. I want to see where it's going. Oh, the other thing as well, I, I managed to find another film that we might have to add to our watch party. There's a 1975 film called The Ghoul. Um, okay. Which is, um, it stars Peter Cushing and John Hurt. So... Uh, yeah, I think we need to watch that one as well. <laughs> Just like is this the intro story, then Night of the Ghoul is what they get up to after dark, and then Night of the Ghouls <laughs> invites a couple of friends over. Yeah, so this one... Um... Uh, I'll just read the blurb for this film because it sounds great. A former priest named Dr. Lawrence harbors a dark and horrible secret in his attic. The locked room serves as a prison cell for his crazed cannibalistic adult son who acquired his savage tastes in India during his father's missionary work there. He fears his son will escape to prey upon the uh, effect guests at his rural English estate. So uh, we'll uh, we'll have to check that one out, um, and we'll also have to check out the uh, the Ed Wood movie because <laughs> I think they both sound fantastic. <laughs> so yeah, um, five point three out of ten on uh, IMDb that got the goal. Uh, hour hey, and twenty eight minutes long. There's some. There's some generally good movies which have less than that so i know i know so who knows who knows we'll see so yeah um night of the ghoul um and uh yeah i really do hope if you're uh, i really do hope if you're listening you are just about to buy that on your device of choice because uh it's very good um, and that has been this week's episode of Ace Comicals. Um, I just wanted to just point out as well when we close, actually, that um, we've got some new artwork um, and we've got a new logo. And um, we, it's like uh, 
we had a guest on uh, for an interview um, last episode. We had Anthony Smith on for a conversation and uh, he decided to uh, to give us some art and a new logo that we can use for our site. So uh, we are very thankful for that. And uh, we just wanted to make sure we credit the uh, talented and extremely generous Anthony Smith. Um, so go back and check out the previous interview with him as well, because it's a great conversation um, and we get to talk about his book. Um, and his uh, his little his uh, sort of like single panel cartoons. Um, Learn to speak cat and uh, the latest book, Learn to speak cat, fake muse. So I would go and check that out. But yeah, um, so that has been Ace Comicals number one two five, and that is uh, yeah. Um, you can find us in all the usual places, primarily Twitter under at Ace Comicals. Uh, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. You can get in touch. You can DM uh, the Ace Comicals account. Um, you can let us know what you think about any of the books uh, that we've been reading, if you've been checking any of it out. Um, get involved in the conversation. Give us your opinion. Um, if you're reading along with us, we want to know how you feel about this stuff as well, right? Um, and... Uh, yeah, you can uh, you can send us an email at acecomicalsgmail.com. Um, ask us a question, get in touch, uh, whatever you want. <laughs> Give us tell us tell us we're wrong if we got something wrong, please. <laughs> we uh, we ought to be corrected sometimes. I think I, I I've if I've been saying Arceus wrong, tell me. Okay, yeah, uh, Leon, <laughs> Leon, uh, um, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. Yes, so uh, that has been Ace Comicals. That is uh, Ace Comicals over and out.